When I was in fifth grade, so we are going back to the dawn of time. Uh, before you went into sixth grade, you went and you sat down, at least when I was in fifth grade, and it probably was nearer the dawn of time. Um, we went and sat down, uh, each one of us individually, in a room. If we were interested in taking band or chorus, we went and sat in a room with the high school band director and the junior high school band director, uh, and uh, they had us do it, you know, they had us repeat after them. Uh, they, had, they would play a rhythm, and then you had to play the rhythm back, and they would sing a song, and you would have to be able to, or they would give you a series of notes, and you had to give them the series of notes back. Well, after that, with Mr. Page and Mr. Kirby, they recommended for me to play the trombone, because apparently my ear is pretty good, and with a trombone, you can always adjust on the fly. You can constantly be adjusting the tone, um, whereas if you're playing the piano and there's a note that's out of key, the only thing you can do is call the piano tuner, and next week when the piano tuner comes and readjust it, you can fix it. If James finds out in the middle of worship that his uh, guitar is out of tune, he stops, he would have to stop or stop playing that chord, that, that, uh, that particular string, or stop and adjust it to get it right. If you watched before worship every week, he's constantly adjusting his uh, guitar to get it ready uh, so that it's in tune. Now, I'm convinced for every single one of us, we are spending a lifetime getting our lives in tune with what God wants for us to be. That's what it means when I see life happens, and today I've entitled the sermon Scandalous, Scandalously Particular. I'm talking about you. You are scandalous, scandalously particular in your reflection of who God is. There is no other reflection of God, no mirror of God in the universe like you. There is also no, uh, there is no like the blade of grass in the front yard or like Reedy, my dog at home, or like the loaf of bread that's on the, the altar. It is its own loaf of bread. There is no other loaf of bread like it, nor will there ever be. Even if we use the same recipe a thousand times, the uniqueness of the molecules come together in a whole different way. Now, if I've lost you, I'm sorry. But the bottom line is, each of us is a reflection of the infinite. If God is indeed infinite, we say it all the time, God is infinite, God is beyond comprehension because God is so big, then every one of us can be unique. I used to think, now this is a side issue, I'm, I'm a little off topic, but that's okay for just a moment. I used to think that having the image of God, each of us being made in the image of God, was like a rubber stamp. You know, there was, one image of, there was one image of God that all humanity bore, and that's not what I think anymore at all. I think that the image of God is infinite, and that each one of us reflects just a piece of the image of God in a unique way, so that every person you encounter, and beyond humanity, every blade of grass, 
every molecule, every raindrop, everything reflects the uniqueness of a God that is constantly revealing the divine self in a myriad of ways. Today we're going to look at a chapter that doesn't get nearly as much attention as the chapter that follows it in uh, the letter, the first letter to the Corinthians. The letter that, you know, I don't know how many times, I've even memorized 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, but we often skip right over chapter 12. And, uh, you know, and rightfully so. I mean, even Paul at the very end of chapter 12, which, by the way, wasn't chapter 12 when he wrote it. It was just a long letter that somebody decided to divide it up so we could find it more easily. The very last thing that he says in chapter 12 is, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And what is that excellent way? Love. Love. Love, love, love. He talks about it for the entire 13th chapter, but we're not talking about just love today. We're talking about, we're going to talk a little bit about spiritual gifts and how God has chosen to make you scandalously particular. Scandalously particular. Now in verse 4 of chapter 12, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but, in, but in the, it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then it goes on to make a list. Now, there, there are people I know including me at one point in my life, that thought that this was partially an exhaustive list. There was like six or eight different, if I look here, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine specific gifts, and that's it. I think there are as many gifts as there are people bearing gifts. That's what I think. I think that this is not an exhaustive list. This is just kind of an, for example, there are some people that do prophecy. There are some people who are apostles. There are some people who preach. There are some people who have knowledge and wisdom and all of those kinds of things. Sure, but my wisdom looks a little different than your wisdom. Or my knowledge might look a little different than your knowledge. Because God reveals the infinite self in finite ways throughout the universe. And that's what's scandalous about God. Think about it. Why would the infinite get down into the finite? Because God wants to be manifest in this universe, to be visible to us, to be the treasure we can seek for. And God hopes we'll go looking for treasure and we will discover God. For God is the greatest treasure there is. But as we look for it, oftentimes... It's like we miss it because we're sure we know where to find it. Like it might be in a great cathedral somewhere. Or maybe it's on a mountaintop somewhere. Or maybe it's at the worship center at St. James on Sunday morning. So some of you think you've lost your God connection because you can't come into the sanctuary right now. Whatever it is, you think it's over there somewhere. And I want to tell you where God is right now, right in front of your face. And I'm not talking about me. I'm not trying to glorify, although I am an image of God. But so are you. And if you're with someone, so is that person you're with. 
every one of them is an image of God. I've come to believe that I, I'm not willing to limit it to just people or to just animals or to just animate beings. You know, the table that you're sitting at, the couch you're sitting on, the chair you're sitting on, the walk you're taking with your earphones in your head, each one of them, if you look closely enough, if you can only be in this moment, you'll catch a glimpse of God. The one God is revealed in infinite ways because God is infinite. And you're part of that infinite revelation. And those verses are so powerful. Variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of services, the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but one God who activates them. We are all part of and separate from what God is doing in the universe. God is making God's self seen in each of us in any given moment. Now, doesn't that make you want to polish up your act? Doesn't that want to, you, you to realize that there's all this extraneous stuff that you're running around thinking you got to do to get there? Climb a certain mountain, talk to a certain guru, listen to a certain sermon that I preached six years ago, whatever it may be. If you only could get that feeling once again, you can't get that feeling again. You can get this feeling right now. You can get this connection right now. This is the now you have. You don't have six years ago anymore. You can regret it all you want to, but it's going to take you off your best game. Learn what you can from that. Don't go back to it. Be here now. Because the variety of gifts God has given us, and why has God given it to us? So that all of the good can be made manifest. Manifest, real, embodied. God did this unbelievably scandalous thing 2,000 years ago. God chose to become finite in a person, the person of Jesus. The eternal Christ existed as embodied in one human being who walked the earth. Now that is scandalous. Think about it. Something infinite squishing down to being finite. First of all, your mind probably doesn't wrap real well around the idea of infinity. So you don't really get overwhelmed by squishing down to the finite. Let's see what important thing I just heard. Oh, great. Texting. Texting. These things happen. So as I think about how we are going to let life happen for us, how we're going to live into the life that God wants us to have, we need to fine-tune those gifts God has given us. Now, I was intrigued when I was in seminary. Uh, I was intrigued by a lot of things when I was in seminary, but when we studied the Book of Discipline, uh, which in the United Methodist Church is sort of our big rule book, and it's got the... Uh, 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 it, it's infamous for now being thicker than the Bible. Uh, we have more rules in the Book of Discipline than the Bible. Uh, 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 that, that, that should concern us a tad bit, I think. I think. Uh, but that's beside the issue. 
When I opened the book of discipline, and I almost brought one today, but, and it isn't bigger than this Bible because the print is smaller and it's in a smaller book. Uh, I almost brought a copy today because the list of the ways I can be pastor or am prescribed to be pastor takes up three pages of the book. Three pages of the book. Now, if you read the biblical understanding of what the gift of pastoring is, it's to empower others. That's, that's what it says being a pastor is. You are to empower others to be all that they're meant to be. But if you read the book of discipline, there's a, a pastor shall, a pastor shall, a pastor shall, and there's a long list of shalls. What I'm learning at age 58, almost 59, or if you were asking Hannah how old I was, she thinks it's funny to say, yeah, he's, he's almost 70. You know, she skips over an entire decade of my life. Sometimes if she's feeling like I'm a little, acting a little bit too old, she'll say he's almost 80. He's almost 80. Uh, thank goodness I'm only almost 59. What I'm learning is the older I get, the more fine-tuning God does to bring me to know what exactly the tune is I'm meant to sing. I always thought I needed to be a generalist and be able to sing every tune. You know, I ought to be able to play in the band and play the trombone, the, the guitar, the keyboards. I ought to be able to play the drums. And I think that they didn't even put that on the list. You know, my number one choice was be playing the trombone, and then there were brass instruments. And then if I really wanted to, I could play woodwind instruments, you know, things like clarinets or, uh, uh, or flutes or... Uh, I don't even think drums were on the list. Percussion was not on the list because I'm arrhythmic. And uh, it's okay to be arrhythmic. Every once in a while, James and Megan have tried to convince me that I could play, uh, I could play the drum, you know, just simply play the drum. No, I can't simply play the drum because I, I apparently walk to my own beat. And it's not the beat that they need to hear for us to sing our songs on Sunday morning. It's my own beat and randomly would rhythmically change and it would become a mess because that's not the fine tuning God has for me. I'm not supposed to play percussion. Probably not even supposed to play the trombone anymore. I am meant to hold a specific place in the universe and so are you. And so life comes along and offers us opportunities to realize, yeah, I can do that. But that's not where I find the joy of serving God. I could do this, but that's not where I find the joy of serving God. It's when I do this thing. Now, you can do that and be a lawyer. You can do it and be a doctor or a teacher. You can do that and be a, uh, a sanitation worker. You can do that and you can uh, be a gardener. You can do that and be retired. You can do that and be a cook. You can do that and be anything. As long as you remember, God is fine-tuning you to hold the place in the universe that you are meant to hold. That you are meant to reflect the image of God, but the image of God that God placed on you. The unique and particular, the scandalously particular way you are meant to be 
our reflection of God in the, in the world. You know, when I, when I go to see Linda, she's still in the hospital, but probably coming home this week. She's in the rehab hospital now, um, you know, building up her strength and stamina, cognitively as well as physically. And when I go to see her, I see all these different nurses who are caring for Linda. And each one of them does it in kind of a different way. But in the end, each one of them reflects a goodness of that profession. There's B, who's our probably the youngest nurse that cares for Linda. And she's on, she's been on a couple of different days that I've been there. And, and B wants to do everything as helpfully as she possibly can. She's constantly coming in the room. She's telling me exactly what medications Linda's on and exactly how they all blend together. And she uses lots of medical terminology, which uh, I, I smile and listen to. And thankfully, I've heard it enough for the last four weeks of, of being in hospitals that I know what she's talking about. But uh, she wants me to be well-informed so when Linda comes home, she'll be taken care of, that I'll know what I'm doing, as if that's possible. And uh, then there's Tigist. Tigist is originally from Ethiopia. And uh, she has this kind and gentle way of caring for Linda, helping her into the bathroom, uh, and doing those other kinds of things for Linda constantly honoring her because Linda and I are her elders, <laughs> senior to her. And so she looks out for us in the kind of caring way that she was raised to understand elders. And, uh, and I could go through some of the other nurses that care for Linda, or the occupational or physical or speech language pathologist, uh, all of those therapists that Linda sees to help her get better. I could describe how each one offers something. And they do so in a way that reflects the glory and mirrors the glory of God in their way. And so do you. When I'm sitting with you, I can see the glory of God in you. When I'm here in this room, when I look up at Megan singing at the uh, keyboard, I see the glory of God reflected in a Megan way. When I look up and I see James leading us in worship on Sunday morning, I think I see God, I see God in a James way, but not a this James way, in a that James way. When I stand up here in the front and I realize that you're getting the stream because Mark is handling audio in a very specific way, in a Mark way. He is reflecting the glory of God in a Mark way. And Joy is handling all of the cameras as well as the slides and making sure they're all exactly correct in a Joy way. Each one of us meant to manifest. Now, last week I, I threw down the gauntlet at the end of my sermon. I said, Jesus has passed on the mantle of being Christ to the church, to each one of you. Will you take it up? It's not a generic mantle, though. It's not a generic face. Hi, I'm Joe Christian, you know. 
or Jane Christian. No. Each one of us reflects our faith in a unique way because God made us to be unique. And when we do it, that's when people can see God in us. Not when I try to pretend to be some kind of pastoral person I'm not. Not when I change my voice when I preach on Sunday morning to my preacher voice that sounds like I know what I'm talking about. You can see right through that. This is the James voice that I got. And I do my best every week to just give you that. And maybe, sometimes by accident, and certainly on purpose, God's purpose, you might catch a glimpse of the way that I reflect God. And it might encourage you to reflect God back in your way. You don't want to be me. You don't even want to be Christian like me. You want to be a follower of Jesus like you. Because there's only one of you. There's only one of you. Scandalously particular, God made you to hold a place in this universe. To reflect the glory of God in a unique way. That's why you're infinitely precious and unconditionally loved. That's why, because you're you, not because you can imitate somebody else. Well, imitating Jesus could be good. But you can't ever be an imitation of Jesus. You can only truly be you. Truly be the you Jesus called you to be. When I read about these spiritual gifts, and I encourage you to pull out 1 Corinthians 12 and read through it, what a beautiful, beautiful call we have. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ, so it is with you. Every member matters. Every part of the body matters. He has a whole paragraph about if we were all an eye, then we would never hear anything. <laughs> if we were all a, a, a pointer finger, you could never wear a ring. I guess you could on your pointer finger. But uh, we all have to play the part we're called to play. Life happens, and if you're playing your part, the symphony of God is sung in beautiful ways. You may think you're tone deaf, but in God's universe, the tone you're meant to sing is the tone that is you and that makes the symphony complete. The grass doesn't know any better than being grass. The trees don't know any better than to be trees. We think we know better than to be ourselves. We need to fit in somewhere. No, you don't. God's already fit you in. Can you be that person, the one God meant you to be? You're part of the body of Christ, one spirit, many expressions, and you're one of them, and so am I.
Life's going to keep on happening to all of us. Be a part of it. Live it in the way God called you.